Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. Good morning, Brian. Morning. I got some news okay. from, from Lumi, my Kickstarter that I backed, oh, sometime last century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, turns out, when you back a Kickstarter and you give them most of the monies, like you buy multiple of the product, mm-hmm. you're the last one to get it. Mm. I they're they're going to start shipping my batch like soon, hopefully, because I bought two because yes. they they clip together and all that, and they're like they gave me this, this, like you know the Kickstarter updates where they put in some bullshit excuse. Mm-hmm. They're like, we think we're going to ship by the end of Friday or February, mm-hmm. but maybe not. We don't know because we're sending them out to everybody else who paid less than you. Thanks, guys. How long ago did you buy into this? I think it was September. And what was the expected ship date? By the holidays. And you still haven't gotten it yet? Nope. Let me bust out this old gem. It's been a while. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At least you're actually going to theoretically get them. That's not it's not like they posted an update that we've seen many, many times for many, many Kickstarters. Sorry, we folded. Good luck getting your money back. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks. We'll be in Belize. (laughs) Well, I do hope you get it. It does seem like a cool product. I've been waiting a long time for you to review it so I can figure out if I would like to actually purchase them when I could actually just get them right away. Yeah, well, it turns out you might be able to borrow one because the app is not going to be ready yet for two keyboards at once. So, oh, (laughs) yeah, so I might get two of them, but can only use one until the app is done. (laughs) And this is why I just I mean, I have a straight up policy. I will not do Kickstarters. I'm just not ever going to do it. They never work out. Even when they seem to have their stuff together, they do not. I know. At least, though, I did I did uh, bypass one problem. They do do the Q&A on the people who got them first. So that's the karma. The people who jumped the queue and got them first, they had an issue with keys sticking. So you had to, like, send it back and get, get new ones because there yes. was a batch well, that had bad keys. Never forget in this new Web 2.0 world, you are quality control. Oh, yeah. Ain't the that customer the truth. is quality control. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? In the news... I found a little podcast news that I thought might upset you a little bit, Jason. Spotify is still throwing cash at podcasts, just not ours. Of course. They're buying Bill Simmons The Ringer, which is an entire, you know, basically industry in and of itself. It's a pod-centric media company run and owned by Bill Simmons, which is mostly sports. Um, You know, so I kind of get that. People love their sports and love their sports podcasts. So there's a lot of listening. But apparently what they're saying is Spotify really wants out of the deal is Simmons' ability to create podcasts. So they want him to expand his empire. And I thought this little bit might have caught in your attention. Apparently there's one show devoted to just rewatching old movies. Yeah. Yeah. Saw that one. (laughs) Saw that one. Chapped my dazzle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I got one of those. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah fuck you spotify God. Uh, we just can't catch a break can we I'm, I'm sure when we go to this podcast conference next week somebody is just gonna throw money at us jason <laughs> to leave get out of here <laughs> yeah yeah now does it have legs still there we stopped because nobody was wanted to pay us so yeah whatever 
Uh, hey, man, if anybody wants to pay us, we'll revive that in a heartbeat. <laughs> so I found some Twitter news. Mm-hmm. Twitter has posted their first billion-dollar quarterly revenue, despite okay. all the despite uh, pulling political ads. Kind of, sort of. Turns out that there's some loopholes with the political ads because uh, yeah, big, big big companies can still do uh, still do some. There was a kerfuffle with Exxon Mobil uh, posting, you know, climate change ads and things like that, and uh, so that's that's still going on. But here's the kicker: so they had their first billion dollar quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they made less than the previous quarter. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Interesting. How does that, that work? I don't know. I don't know because they only made 119 million down from 255 million in the previous quarter. That's a big drop. Right. Well, I have a theory about that and this could probably have been easily checked, but that's not how we roll on this that's show. That's not how we do it here. <laughs> uh I'm willing to bet that they have probably increased their expenses quite a big deal because as we've talked about on this podcast many a times, first off, their ad system was horrible. I couldn't even place ads, so they must have put some programmers on that to fix it. Because even me as a very, very casual Twitter user, I've noticed there is a significant uptick in ads in my Twitter feed. So Mm -hmm. they must have gotten that all fixed and and thrown some money at that. And uh, my next story shows me that they're throwing some money at other things as well. So Twitter is finally fighting back against deep fakes and other deceptive media. In theory, in so, theory, in a blog post, Twitter announced changes to the company's synthetic and manipulated media policy. Amazing <laughs> that we have to have those these days, but we've been screaming about it for a while here. It's a good thing for people to have, mm-hmm. which it defines as any photo, audio or video that's been significantly altered or fabricated. So one would assume this does not necessarily only mean deep fakes. Of course, this would also include, in theory, under these rules, that Nancy Pelosi video that was just altered to slow down and sorta, speed up. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, they can mark it as manipulated, but they're not going to take it down. Well, uh, under the new rules, Twitter will remove this kind of media if the company finds it likely to cause serious harm, such as content that threatens people's safety or could cause widespread civil unrest. The rub there, of course, <laughs> is who makes that decision. And, uh, right. You know, what kind of what kind of rules do you apply to it? So if they don't think that it's likely to cause harm, it will still label the tweets as containing manipulated media, warn users who try to share them and deprioritize the content in users feed. The changes will go into effect on March 5th. So, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, so I'm you assuming they hired banned. up here. <laughs> no, they haven't. Because if you read farther down in the article, Twitter says it isn't coming out with any new tools to discover manipulated or synthetic media, but instead continuing its existing process, which largely relies on users to find and report tweets that my, may, may violate the company's content moderation policies. The company said it will also partner with third parties to help identify manipulated content. So... All right. Not well, really throw throwing any engineers parties, at it. But <laughs> yeah. they're not throwing any engineers at it. And uh, as pursuant to the previous comment I just made, not only are we the customer's quality control, we are also the police for platforms yeah. these days. We are the Internet police. We yes, always we wondered are. who the Internet police were. It's us. It's us. Well, the yeah. interesting thing that you keep saying that, you know, they staffed up to do all this stuff. If you remember, not too long ago. Twitter became, quote unquote, profitable because they fired everybody to cut expenses. So. Mm-hmm. I guess that was a look over here for a little while. We're going to yes. cut expenses. We're going to look better on paper. Our stock price is going to rise. Then we're going to maybe hire them all back when nobody's looking and go back to business as usual. It sounds like it. So, yep. Yep. Not shocking. Now, over at Google, Google has told Clearview AI, who we talked about a few times, stop taking our photos. 
Yes. Yes. So following Twitter, Google and YouTube have become the latest companies to send a cease and desist letter to Clearview AI, which, as we all recall, is the startup that has just been scraping gazillions of photos off the Internet and supplying more than 600 police departments across North America use of their facial recognition software, which has horrible statistics in terms of false and positive mistakes. Correct. Yes. So, so yeah, there yeah. it goes. So Google has demanded that they stop doing it. And, uh, and the company's CEO, Juan Ton Tat, I believe that's how you would say it, said Clearview plans to challenge the cease and desist letters in court. Um, basically, uh, compare, they, he compared Clearview's practice of scraping the Internet for images to what Google does itself with its search engine, which kind of has a point. No, it doesn't. Totally yes, untrue. They do I not know, follow I was the setting rule. it up, Jason. Oh, well, you you never know with you. It's early. You're generally pretty slow. I know it is early. It's you know, not enough coffee. So he <laughs> says Google can pull in information from all different websites. So if it's public, you know, it's out there. It could be inside a Google search engine and it could be inside ours as well. He then went on to argue that the company has a First Amendment right to public information. Google, however, saw that differently. YouTube's terms of service explicitly forbid collecting data that can be used to identify a person which facial recognition is kind of spot on for being able to identify a person. When it uh, works. <laughs> yes. And Clearview has publicly admitted to doing exactly that. And in response, we sent them the cease and desist. They also took issue with the comparison. Most websites want to be included in Google search, and we give webmasters control over what information from their site is included in our search results. Mm, sort of. Including the option to opt out entirely. Also, sort of. Also, sort of, yes. yes. And we talked, uh, I think it was like two episodes ago or something like that, about somebody who wrote in talking about the copyright violations from mm-hmm. Clearview. If, so, you know, they take your photos. Do you have the right to sue them? I'm like, yeah, maybe they're just taking the metadata and scraping it. Well, I thought about it a little more because mm-hmm. I had some time, and we, we usually don't have time to think about what we say on this show. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was looking at it, I'm like, oh, you know what? They do have to store all those photos, all those billions of photos they have, because when a face matches, they have to show a photo of something to That's the true. cops. Yes. You know, it can't it's just like, be metadata. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just say, hey, it's that guy without showing, you know, proof of work, because they're <laughs> going to have to compare it to the people in the photos that they're matching against. So they are actually showing those photos to those 600 police departments. So I think the entire Internet has a class action lawsuit against Clearview. Let's just get on it. All right, let's sue them out of existence. I'm sure there'll be consequences. <laughs> <laughs> new name and a new round of funding. That's what exactly. it's going to be. Exactly. Now, I had a bunch of other stories in here that kind of somewhat related to this sort of discussion, but I know we have Seth Miranda and we tend to go on and on and on. So I cut them and I'll end the new segment with a story <laughs> that I found funny. Uh, PayPal is so strict about sanctioned countries, it won't even let you say Cubano sandwich. What? <laughs> Yes, well, this is an example of AI in action. They're using machine learning and whatnot to basically go through all the different PayPal transactions or Venmo, because they also own Venmo, uh, and look for words because they have financial obligations to our government to make sure that sanctioned countries aren't transferring money here and there and everywhere. Unfortunately, they really just use a brute force keyword search. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's what they're using. (laughs) So if you want to PayPal or Venmo some cash to someone without any hitches, do not put the word Iran in the memo field, because on Wednesday, Jewish currents currents got an annoying (laughs) reminder of this policy. Uh, The magazine tweeted that nine payments to its staff and its contributors. And isn't it crazy that companies are actually using PayPal to pay their staffs these days? No, no, not really. It's a new world order. Uh, Have been held up because the transactions descriptions included the term Iran in reference to a piece that the magazine published. 
So yeah, they basically just flag keywords and that's that. Now, (laughs) I'm just going to quickly run through the list of words that are banned and then the words that are not. Because this is just phenomenal. I'm sorry, waiting for this to learn. Load here. Okay, so here are things that you cannot ever put in your memos. Iran, ISIS, Persian, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, Bashir al-Assad, Qasam Salami, Real Irish Republican Army, Cuba, inexplicably Cubano Sandwich, Syria, (laughs) Syrian Refugee, Al-Qaeda, Los Santos, Shining Path, etc. And words that are totally okay. You can put this, and I urge you all to do so in your memo fields. Bomb, car bomb, weapons of mass destruction, assassination, hitman, kidnapping, terrorist, cartel, anthrax, rice and sarin gas, AK-47, <laughs> Glock 43, dogfight, Nazi, Stormfront, Unite the Right, Proud Boys, KKK, Klansmen, David Duke, prostitutes, handjob, blowjob, revenge porn, snuff film, <laughs> human tracking, slave, fetus, stem cells, kidney harvest, napalm, coyote, marijuana, MDMA, ecstasy, LSD, meth, black tar, heroin, blah, blah, blah. You get the point. Oh, I, I don't know why they put fake Yeezys in here, but... Uh... <laughs> And I'd yeah. also like to know what an Adam Waffen is. Yeah, I skipped that, that one because I wasn't sure either. Sounds, I don't know. Atomic oh, anti-defamation. Uh, oh, it's a neo-Nazi thing. Gotcha. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yes, okay. the well, Nazis. But that's totally okay. So feel free to put that in your memo field. In fact, Jason, when I pay you for <laughs> the, <laughs> the iPhone 8 that I'm buying from you on PayPal, I'm sure to include many of these terms. Cash only. Cash only. <laughs> We're only doing cash only. I can't lose my PayPal account. Everyone needs a world-class VPN. Grumpy Old Geeks recommends private internet access to protect your online privacy and identity. Private internet access never keeps any records of their users' online activities, so you can be assured that you have complete privacy and nobody knows what you're doing online. No matter your technical skills, private internet access is one of the easiest VPN apps out there. All it takes to connect is just one click or tap and your data will be encrypted instantly. With just one private internet access VPN subscription, you can connect up to 10 devices at the same time. Go to GOG.show slash VPN and sign up today. For a limited time only, you can get our favorite VPN for just $2.69 a month when you sign up for two years. GOG.show slash VPN. That's GOG.show slash VPN. This episode is brought to you by Delete Me. Today, I want to share something personal and honestly a bit alarming. On this show, we often discuss the vast amount of personal info floating around out there. We're talking home addresses, contact details, and even information about your family. If you've ever felt that uneasy feeling about your privacy, you're definitely not alone. That's why I need to tell you about Delete Me. It's been a game changer for me in protecting my personal information. As someone who's been bombarded with spam calls and phishing attempts, discovering Delete Me was like finding a magic shield. Here's a really frustrating fact. The amount of personal data available online has tripled from 2019 to 2023. With rising political tensions, your political views could expose you to cybercrimes, identity theft, or even violence. Angry people fueled by their beliefs can access your data from data brokers that cover 98% of U.S. citizens, putting you at risk of harassment, identity theft, or worse. But there's good news. Delete Me works tirelessly to safeguard your data. They scour the internet, finding and removing your personal information from some of the largest data brokers in the world. And they don't just do it once, they continuously monitor to ensure your info stays private. I signed up and provided details on what I wanted removed, and the team at Delete Me took it from there. They keep me updated with regular reports, showing me where my information was popping up 
and confirming when it was deleted. Seeing their commitment to protecting my privacy has truly been a relief. Now, here's something special for all of you. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash GOG and use promo code GOG at checkout. The only way to get that 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash GOG and enter code GOG at checkout. That's J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash G-O-G with code G-O-G at checkout. Security? Ha! We are joined again this week by our good friend Dave Bittner. Dave is the host of the CyberWire podcast. Dave is also the co-host of the social engineering podcast Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan, as well as the co-host of Caveat with Ben Yellen, where they discuss law and policy as well as surveillance and privacy. Hello, gentlemen. Always good to be back. Hello. Any big news about potential security things that happened this week? Oh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, nah, the reality nah, is, the, the, the big news is yeah. nothing to do with security. It's just incompetence. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Fresh talent. Of course, we are talking about the app that uh, the Iowa caucus decided to make use of. And uh, things did not go well for them. Yeah, you'd think they might have done a little testing. But as Jason and I were talking about a little bit earlier in the show, uh, you know, the customers are now quality control and uh, version one testers. So that <laughs> happened in, in in an election. Yay. Doesn't seem like democracy should be your beta tester. But, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, democracy technically is still kind of in beta. So why not? They just took it to the next level. That's I, true. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I guess we can get a little bit into the specifics here. I know Jason has found a couple of articles, but there were a few headlines that leapt out at me. One of them was, uh, voting issues tend to stem more from low-grade incompetence than malfeasance, which is kind of <laughs> what happened here. And I did read and saw an article that said that they, um, they actually had a perfectly good and working app that they used two years ago when they did a caucus. Hmm. But they I did decided to upgrade into a new app, which didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's pivot. Let's pivot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've read a bunch of articles on this. And the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, so this is going out to people who are supposed to be counting votes. But they're, it's, it's uh, bring your own device <laughs> mm-hmm. day here in, in the elections in the United States. And, you know. As we know, Android has such a good track record of being, you know, you install once, mm-hmm. run anywhere, because, you know, that is that, you know, OS is not fragmented in any way, <laughs> shape or form. And the device providers are all in line with each other. So if, you know, you write one app, you know, it's going to run anywhere sure. with just one test. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Step one, uh, let people, uh, you know, get devices from the state, maybe that have it all pre-installed with the same device mm-hmm. per chance. So you're not trying to do device uh, specific and OS specific beta testing with a new release two days before it's supposed to mm-hmm. go live. I suppose I'm as surprised you know? by the fact that fact as I was about what we learned about like Wi-Fi on military bases. I, I am shocked that this stuff isn't controlled at some level that, that people are just using personal devices and, and things of that nature. But I guess that's the way it is these days. Well, states' rights and, and county counties are in charge of their own, you know, election boards mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's not it's not one unified. We don't have you know the United States Department of Voting 
that's one of the big problems. I suppose it's it's tempting to think that, you know, it, this is just the way that it is. But I'm sure, uh, at least I hope, that at some point there are some very frustrated uh, security professionals that were consulted about this that were screaming to high heaven saying, for the love of God, don't do this. And we're just ignoring <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, in fact, the case, Brian. Okay. They were screaming to high heaven. <laughs> uh, and uh, to, to the point about the, the mobile devices, it's my understanding that they did not get it to the Apple App Store in time for it to be available on Election Day, the latest version hadn't been hadn't gone through Apple's approval process quickly enough. Ah, so, so they were actually even forced to use Android. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. They could, I I saw somewhere they were delivering it via test flight on Apple. Oh. Was that or was that just I don't testing? I don't know. That, final, I mean that's possible. Release. I imagine you're the people in this situation at Shadow. And imagine, I, I'm sure... Also, by the way, the, a name that inspires confidence in free and oh, absolutely. elections. Yeah. Shadow Incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But, but I think certainly the three of us have all been through that situation where you're developing something or something's being close to launch or some some creative or professional endeavor is getting close to the time when actual people have to use it or consume it or whatever. And maybe things aren't going as well as you'd hoped. <laughs> and that feeling of panic starts to set in and, <laughs> you start, and you're going, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. And I'm just imagining... The folks at Shadow, that feeling settling in over them as as it became clearer and clearer that this was not going to end well for them. <laughs> I had that feeling every time we did a movie website, and it was Friday of opening oh, yeah. day. That was I, I know that feeling very very well. I had it for when you know major concerts tickets were about to be announced, and we had to make sure pre sales were all functioning, and we had to deal with third parties, and God knows what they did, and yep. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. I don't miss those pits in my stomach. No. <laughs> I guess it really is that thing of you know, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. It's that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I the first contact website when I built that thing in 97, I believe. I mean, we, we, we made the Hollywood Reporter because we got 10 million hits in our first day. And that thing was running on a, a like this monster SGI. This was like a $250,000 oh, yeah. SGI. And it literally melted the hard drive. Really? Because this was before we had RAM caching and things like that. Every page had like 30 micrographics <laughs> on it and all this crazy stuff. It had VRML. But the problem was, this is before we knew how to optimize for assets. There was no CSS, so everything was in wow. tables. Oh, man. And all of the all of the read-writes melted the really? hard drive. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I'd like to, I, I blame the Borg personally. <laughs> I think, you know, I think our server was assimilated, but uh, yeah, I know those pits and when things go wrong, like somebody, I was going to say somebody got fired over this, but as we all know, nobody gets fired. <laughs> well, no, no that, that, that's not, that's not true. I'm sure somebody probably will get fired, but it's never the higher ups in the company, is it? <laughs> No, and it, it seems like... It's always like, poor, like, little Dex Poindexter that's sitting in the back that was putting up the red flags or through some right. weekly warded emails saying, um, guys, we're not quite ready. It seems like these folks are connected insiders with with the Democratic Party. It, yes, which seems to be... I, I was trying to... I was talking to Jason about it a little bit earlier, and it seems that they got this gig through basically grift, so... Yeah. And again, so once we, we do know that yeah. there was a working app from some other company that was you know, rolled out two years ago and went just fine. Yeah. 
But uh, as we (laughs) as we pointed out on the Cyberwire, and and I'll read part of uh, uh, Gerard uh, Namira's statement here, he says, as the Iowa (laughs) Democratic Party has confirmed, the underlying data and collection process via Shadow's mobile caucus app was sound and accurate. But our process to transmit that caucus results data generated via the app to the IDP was not. Importantly, this issue did not affect the underlying caucus results data. This, my friends, is a distinction without a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Um, I just, I, I, he also, I love this. He also goes on to say the goal of the app was to ensure accuracy in a complex reporting process. We will apply the lessons learned in the future and have already corrected the underlying technology issue. We take these issues very seriously and are committed to improving and evolving to support the Demic. To support, I'm, I'm laughing too hard. To support the Democratic Party's goal of modernizing its election process, they're saying this like they still have mm-hmm. a job, which makes me think that they probably mm-hmm. do. And Brian mm-hmm. is correct. They probably do as well. I think mm. the one thing that really came out of this was the outcry for can't we just go back to paper and pen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, yeah. that's what saved it. Everybody had to drive their results to the, the local. Yeah, I, place. it's my understanding also that one of the things that slowed this down was some of the voting precincts because they thought they were going to have the app working. They had dropped their paper ballots in the mail already. Oh. <laughs> Oops. And yeah, and you know the postal service takes the integrity of the mail extremely seriously. So it's not like you can go, hey, listen, can I have that back? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, tr- you try that so, at your local post office someday right, and see how right, they exactly. respond. <laughs> no, postal inspectors carry guns. Yeah. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah, they take it seriously. Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I think I believe it's. I, there's one other ahead. quote here. Well, I was going to say, I, I, there's one other quote here. <laughs> Fuck. We could do this all day. <laughs> yeah. Who's on first? Uh, balls. All right. You go so, ahead. Um, uh, I believe it's Nevada who has who was originally contracted with these folks, and they pulled the plug and said, yeah, we're not going to do this now. We're not, we're not going to use Shadow's app. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, in the Vice article, I love this quote from Gregory Miller, co-founder of the Open Source Election Technology Institute. And he says, in a system, in a world where we are questioning every aspect of elections and whether they can be trusted, why would you do anything to fuel a disinformation attack? And that's exactly what the Democrats mm-hmm. have done. They've opened a can of whoop-ass on themselves. Yeah. Unforced error. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's transition a little bit. Uh, I read an article recently, and I could have sworn I had stumbled onto a near-future sci-fi dystopian website, but unfortunately, it's all too real. All the invasive (laughs) ways China is using drones to address the coronavirus. So, recently, pedestrians crossing a bustling intersection in Shuyang, a city in northern China, found themselves being scolded by a police-operated drone equipped with a camera and loudspeakers. Their mistake was neglecting to wear face masks, which, by the way, don't do anything against the coronavirus but there you go which has killed Mm -hmm. at least 427 people and infected more than 20,000 worldwide most of them in china's mainland there have been increasing pictures and videos and etc being posted to uh, twitter and other social media sometimes by the government showing bewildered passerbys jerking their heads to the sky upon hearing a disembodied voice harassing them about their hygiene a police woman yelling through the drone's loudspeaker says hey handsome guy speaking on your mobile where is your mask (laughs) And later instructs a group of pretty young ladies to wait until they get home to eat so they won't have to lower their masks. 
Yeah, so they're basically just <laughs> flying drones around everywhere and trying to police people with it and yeah. do creative you know ways. What? This, this reminded me, this is like a, a Letterman sketch, right? Yeah. Like, this is like <laughs> when David of, Letterman yeah. would take over the drive through at the local Taco <laughs> Bell or something, you know, hey, handsome guy on your mo Or when he would send someone into a store and he'd be talking on the walkie-talkie and the person would have to say whatever he said. Mm -hmm. That's what this reminds me of. I, I just... You're using a drone. First of all, you're using a drone with loudspeakers, and it, it's just weird. Yeah, it's it feels weird. very near future dystopian. Like I said, I, yeah. I kind of felt like I was doing it. Now we know China have been using drones quite a while. Some of which they've disguised as birds on a mass scale to track down fugitives, catch people making traffic infractions, monitor students taking college entrance exams with a drone. That seems amazing to me. Uh, <laughs> but the concern, of course, now is that because they are attempting to contain the coronavirus and they're they're going all in on drone technology to do so. As we kind of know about governments and, and particularly dictatorships, once something has been deployed, it doesn't tend to go away, even if mm -hmm. the case for which you originally deployed it has been solved. So, yeah, there's a lot of fear that this is the new world order in China. Um, this one in, in particular really freaked me out. Uh, reports from around the country further indicate that the drones are covering cities and villages with disinfectant spray. So they're aerial bombing their own people. <laughs> Now they're mm -hmm. saying this is helpful that the defective is if the, the disinfectant is effective in preventing the spread of the coronavirus. But uh, man, oh man, doesn't that freak you guys out? Because <laughs> unless they're spreading the coronavirus well, over to the Uyghurs, that, which is yeah, also now possible. we're definitely getting into X Files territory. You know. mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think they could. You know, they could really just kill two birds with one stone if they went full David Letterman and put the loudspeaker on it, had them talk to them, and then dropped a watermelon from the drone. <laughs> That would be perfect. Just drop a watermelon on the offenders. The camera. <laughs> Play us out, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, this is... Uh, I'm reminded... I guess the, the disinfectant spray thing, I mean, is... I, I think about... Um, chemtrails? Their communities. Well, I was thinking about communities yeah, that spray for mosquitoes. Their trucks right. that drive around and spray oh, for yeah. mosquitoes. So that's a thing, but... Not uh, not like this. And like not you said, like this. not like this. And boy, uh, if that Uyghur community, um, yeah. I think you're right. It's an excuse to really go after. It's not that they needed an excuse because they were already going after them, but they can certainly use this to take it up a notch. Mm -hmm. Under the guise of doing something yeah. actually good for the people. Correct. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we got some feedback. A listener to the show, Donovan, sent us this article and it kind of, you know, tells us <laughs> nothing we didn't already know. But uh, in, in real math, researchers find anonymized data is even less anonymous than we thought. So, yes, these two students, uh, Dasha Met... Oh, boy. Metropolitansky. <laughs> wow. No, well done, Brian. Well Thank you. done. Thank you. <laughs> got that. And Atari, which are two students at the Harvard John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences, recently built a tool that combs through vast troves of consumer data sets exposed from beaches for a class paper they've yet to publish. Now, these are just the students doing this. This is great. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's Harvard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It is. <laughs> so they basically just grabbed every single huge dump that has been out there publicly uh, and and 
<laughs> built a data set and started matching people left, right, and center. The problem hmm. they're saying is that there are so many of these data sets out there that will contain one or two pieces of information that you're able to combine them all together into one gigantic data soup that spits out your ID, your ID and is able to, you know, basically you can cross-reference and totally identify people from theoretically anonymized data sets. And, right. you know, an individual leak is like a puzzle piece. On its own, it's not particularly powerful, but when multiple leaks are brought together, they form a surprisingly clear, clear picture of our identities. That's what they're saying. And we all know not a week goes by that there isn't another big leak. And the more and more that there are out there, the worse and worse it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I think if these folks were smart, they would take this data and they would put together a dating service. <laughs> Harvard Madison. Welcome. Welcome. Think students. about all the things that it knows about people. It has everything from, like this says, from everything from my heritage to porn websites. So you want to really know what people are like? You want to really know what they're interested in? I bet you this is a really useful <laughs> bit of, of of data to match people together hey, if you were able to de-anonymize them. You're both them. Italians and you both like Latino porn. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're made for each other. It's kismet. <laughs> kismet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, any idea that any of these things are anonymized has basically just been completely blown out of the water. <sighs> I'm really curious how they're getting around uh, the legal issues of having this data and writing a paper on it and actually working on this data since, you know, technically it's illegal data because, you know, security researchers have such a hard time right now because, you know, you have the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act mm-hmm. and things like that. Like, is there something that is going to get these guys in trouble from taking this data and actually using it and then publishing a paper on it? I certainly hope not because I want to read this paper. But uh, what do you think, That's Dave? a good question. I, I, I fear That's for these guys. That's a good question. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm thinking... Maybe that's a good question I'll have to ask uh, Ben Yellen about. Yeah. What's, what are the legal ramifications about uh, that sort of thing? Because a lot of times there are there are exceptions for researchers in a lot of these things. But but uh, I think the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act famously does not have those, right? But uh, I'll ask Ben. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm just I'm worried these guys are going to, you know, do something that just runs them afoul of the law and somebody's going to say, hey, I'm in that data set. Let's take these guys down so they can never mm. publish and get that data mm-hmm. set destroyed. Hmm. Even though the data well, that's sets the problem, right? It's whack-a-mole with you these know? data sets. They yeah. just, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can get rid of Hulk Hogan porn, but we can't get well, rid of the Well, that's what we've learned, Jason. The, the one hell? thing we've been able to wipe from the internet is Hulk Hogan's <laughs> porn video. But it, it reminds me of another funny thing with um, people who have clearances. You know, I've, I've worked with several people who have security clearances. And there's this funny no man's land where, for example, like the Snowden breach, right? Snowden releases all of this classified information. Um it's out in the public. It's been published by the New York Times. But the people with clearances are still forbidden from accessing it, looking at it, even though it's in the public sphere now. Right. Because it's categorized as classified, they're forbidden from having any contact with it. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very strange thing. So this isn't directly like that, but it, it just reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, I wanted to, to finish up this week with a couple of, uh, I guess, lighter stories and uh, lighter um, is uh, crop dusting a minority with uh, potentially deadly viruses. No. By light. the way, your, <laughs> your light bulbs may be hacked. 
<laughs> well, and that's what I mean by lighter. It's literally <laughs> lights. Um, do you guys have any smart light bulbs in your homes? I, I do. I have the Philips Hue, no. so I immediately <laughs> checked my app to make sure that I had the uh, most recent update. I, as well, have the Philips Hue, uh, and I have a bunch of other smart devices throughout the house that keep track of doors and, um, I don't know, whether my hot water heater has sprung a leak, things like that, and I find them very useful. Uh, but uh, Philips was alerted by the security researchers at Checkpoint Software that there was a vulnerability in the Hue light bulbs that would allow someone to get into your network and then pivot, move laterally, and basically have access to the whole network and per- you know, spread ransomware and malware yes. and all As that kind I of good stuff. I was reading it, I was like, oh, no big deal. Somebody really wanted to hack in and turn on my light, whatever. I'll just unplug right. it and reset it. But then I was <laughs> right. kept reading and I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> right, right. Now, uh, if you're, um, what's the central unit with these things? The hub. um, The hub. Thank you very much. Yes, the hub. The hub was the word I was looking for. Uh, If the hub is connected to the internet, which chances are it is. connected to the internet. (laughs) The internet's connected to the Chinese. (laughs) Right. Chinese connected to the Russians. So if your if your hub is connected to the internet, it should automatically have updated itself. Yeah, but which I thought it was odd sure. that it did not give me a notification mm-hmm. that it had updated or anything. I, I had to launch the app and go into security settings and then see that the update was there, um, and then compare it to the article to make sure I had the right update. You'd think if something like this would have occurred, they would like push a little notification to you. By the way, we just updated your software for this and this and that reason. Mm-hmm. No, nothing. Well, it's interesting, yeah. On my Eros, when I log in and there's been a security update, I don't get notifications that there's been an update. But when I launch the app to look in, it says, you are now updated to this app. Here yeah. are the release well, they notes they don't to even see what do we changed. With Phillips. Hmm. So no. there was no notification yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that there's been times when I've gone to use the Phillips app and it said we need to do a, a firmware update or something. But I, maybe there's a difference between a security issue and just a functionality issue. Yes, we'd like to tell you about the new functions we've given you, but never mind the security issue that we had. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point, Brian. That is a little bit upside down, isn't, isn't it? it, though? But, uh, <laughs> nothing to see here. Move yes. along. Move <laughs> along. Uh, and then finally, um, fun story from a security researcher working on his own, um, got himself a Wacom tablet. Now, do you guys say Wacom or Wacom? I've always said Wacom. You say Wacom? Wacom? You say Wacom? All right. Well, when when I used to go to the, what is it, the, uh, the big graphics conventions uh, yeah. here in L.A.? I, yep. yep. Siggraph, yeah. When I go to Siggraph, I'd go to the booth, and they they would always chastise me and say it's called Wacom. Really, like did not know that. That is one I pronunciation yes. I never would have yeah. guessed. I was going to say that's that's the one I <laughs> exactly. <hadn't> heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one that is called Wacom right. Wacom tablets, and they're like they were very adamant to, to that I that I use that pronunciation. These guys had T-shirts and badges. Why not quite size company that they used to be. <laughs> well, these are the the tablets that uh, I, I'm sure, like you guys, have been using for decades. Uh, if you've been in the graphics world, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. probably the biggest name in these sort of tablets. Uh, I don't know where they are these days. But um, at any rate, the security researcher was curious about what sort of information uh, his tablet was gathering. Uh, he also went through and looked at the... Um, 
the EULA when he bought himself a new tablet and all the things he agreed to. Mm-hmm. And turns out that uh, the um, Wacom tablet is sending lots of information back to the mothership, including every app that you open. It tracks what you're opening, how long you're using it, when you've closed it, um, sending it back to a command and control server. Uh, <laughs> telling you basically everything you're using this thing for. I I can certainly understand why that information would be of interest to Wacom, but uh, I can too. But right? Yeah. No, that's not mm-hmm. cool. At least not without notification. Well, I suppose they let you know in the EULA. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. sense from the point of view. Of what are people using our product for? Let's make sure it works well with those things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, as from a driver perspective, it you could it basically can do a check to see is the app that has been loaded compatible with our driver, and can we use the tablet with this this mm-hmm. application? You know, just from just a, from a programming side and a usage side, you know, it's like, oh, I'm opening Chrome. Can I use you know the tablet would want to ping that app and find out if it's you know, compatible with the tablet, maybe look at the version of the app and mm-hmm. things like that. But that that can happen in the driver. It doesn't have to go back right. to home. Right. Yeah. So I I don't know. It just seems creepy and excessive and not cool. I, I do like this one sentence in this rather long uh, article that, that he's written about this. Um, he says, I care about this for two reasons. I'm only going to read the first because it's the good one. The first is a principled <laughs> fuck you. I don't care whether <laughs> anything materially bad will or won't happen as a consequence of Wacom taking this data from me. I simply resent the fact that they're doing it. Amen, brother. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. right. Exactly. Yeah, I also his uh, I, I like his I like his uh you know, the thing that he came up with after it is like a little contrived example of what could mm. possibly happen. I thought he put a lot of thought into it. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well worth a read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like he, he led off this post with a disclaimer. He said, I haven't asked Wacom for comment about the story because I'm not a journalist and I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I don't believe I've gotten anything important <laughs> wrong, however. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like this we'll guy. See. I like this guy a lot. And I, I like the fact that people who are using these, using whatever, are, are doing their own research into this and finding out exactly what these companies are doing. And because they're certainly not really telling us, are they? Right. Right. Yeah. The more that we shine a light on these things, the better chance we have that uh, they'll get fixed or rules will be put in place to put an end to these gatherings of our data. I've got a great idea for a nonprofit that we could start up about shining lights. We'll call it Shadow Inc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect, Well, I think the name might be available soon. Yeah. Website should be be able to pick that up pretty quick. Right, right, for a song. Maybe some intellectual property, an app. Yeah, it'll be fire sale prices, no doubt, no doubt. All right, gentlemen, always a pleasure. I will talk to you next time. So now, Brian, I went down the the YouTube hole the other day. Just looking for looking for interesting things on the newsfeed, and I saw this. I said, a YouTuber gives his credit card to random people, and the things they buy will surprise you. So, Does this I got... relate to the list of PayPal terms? <laughs> no. no, not really. I just okay. got, I got sucked down the click hole because I'm, I was like tired. I'm like, ah, oh, let's see what the fuck it is. And I watched the video, and it's a video of this guy named Mr. Beast, mm-hmm. who is apparently, I'd never heard of him. He's big on giving things away with all the money he makes on YouTube. 
<laughs> only some of our billionaires and politicians felt that way. Yeah. So he had a car, a credit card that had an unlimited limit on it. There's no limit. Okay. And he would walk that around. This is and, the definition of unlimited. Exactly. And he would Except give it to for people. bandwidth. Does this credit card <laughs> throttle? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Don't get an AT&T unlimited card. You only get $2 a month, and then it charges you 30 cents every minute after that. Um, so he would just give it to people and say, look, you can buy whatever you want, but if it goes over the limit, then you have to give it all back. And so it, it was a guessing game, like how much how much will this card go up? How much will this card go up? So it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a fun video. And then I just watched a bunch of his other videos where he gives away thousands and thousands of Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. And just the guy just gives away money. It's pretty cool. It's fun. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things that just kind of makes me happy. It's very funny. So yeah, if nice. you want, if you want just a little pick me up, go watch Mr. Beast. I like him. Okay. I'm sure okay. it's going to turn out that he's some kind of damn child rapist and sex offender because I like him now. And every it's like the good, the good people always tend to like blow up in your face. But I did, since I didn't do that much research, somebody's I'm going to get some email that says, you didn't know what Mr. Beast did when he was five. You're, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now it's a shame i did uh, pull out that article about cancel culture would have tied in nicely <laughs> oh well i pulled it out you'll never hear it sorry people uh most of our listeners are probably of a certain age since we do uh, call ourselves grumpy old geeks i know we have a lot of younger listeners but i'm guessing a lot of people are around the same age as us and i just loved love this article i found over on medium but it's by Amber Freely, and it's called Gen X Will Not Go Out Quietly. And uh, I'm not going to go through it here. It's just if you're of our age, go read this. I love this. This is yeah. amazing. This is all about uh, us and, and my favorite line. We are now at the age where we have seen most of this bullshit before. So you're not going to fool us easily. This is why we're checked out of everything. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It's only a three minute read. So yeah, it's quick. Definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how I found this one, but. Uh, Bill and Ted's excellent phone booth. Somebody is making a recreation of the Bill and Ted phone booth because, you know, the, the new movie's coming and mm-hmm. they had Super Bowl commercials already. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they took a regular phone booth, uh, retrofitted uh, the payphone, like they have an authentic payphone inside, but they retrofitted it for VoIP and landline service. And but they put on the umbrella antenna, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at it, though, and it seems a little clean cut for me. It's not beat up or anything. I no, wanted something that was shiny. a little more. Yeah, yeah it doesn't it, look very cool. You know, it it's a like a little real world effects use. Yeah, it. it does. It does. It needs some some practical effects on it yeah. because I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, you know, that just looks like they got a phone booth and stuck an antenna, like an umbrella on the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all it is. It's an umbrella on the top and they're selling it for, get this, $8,495. Oh, but you can put down a pre-order deposit for $100. That you'll never see again. At you'll probably never see the phone booth either, because I bet this is like coming straight out of Kickstarter. Oh, uh, they seem to actually make these things for a living. They have many related products. The you know, you're going to get a special California edition that has the California flag on it. So I, I think you might actually get these. They have a catalog. I don't know who they sell these things to, but apparently they make them. Oh, these are the people that make the Cuba call. Where you base it's like a little you know meeting room thing that they probably have at all the WeWorks that you can still hear from the outside that they right. complained about because they all have glass doors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I was cute though. I, you know me. I'm a Bill and Ted fan. I know you. You love do it. this. I, I like it too. Not yeah. enough to spend nine thousand dollars on a phone booth. <laughs> exactly. Where are you going to put it? You know. 
Yeah. So this last one I put in here for you because uh, you have a kid of a certain mm -hmm. age, mm -hmm. and this is a recipe that I think will make him very smile quite a bit. It's the old hot dog spaghetti trick. Have you ever seen this before? Uh, no. So you take a hot dog, yes. you cut it up, and then you mm -hmm. take dry spaghetti, and you mm -hmm. push it through, and then you boil it, and then it's like you have hot dog pieces with spaghetti coming out of them, and it's just like, how did they do that? If you didn't know how it was done, it's like, wow, that's magic. So kids love it. I, I've made it for kids, and they actually do enjoy it. So I put a video on how to make it in in the show notes. So you should try that with uh, your little one sometime. I bet I'll get a kick out of it. My, I have the weirdest little kid in the world. He hates pasta. <sighs> No interest him. in can, mac and cheese. Can you cheese? return him? <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> I bet. I, I don't know what to do about it. I'm hoping he'll come around eventually. I mean, he's not carbophobic. It's not from growing up in L.A. Like, he he loves his bread. He's not scared of carbs. But he just doesn't like pasta. He won't eat ramen? No. Oh, my God. No noodles. <sighs> return him. Take him back. I know. He's defective. We're back again with Seth Miranda, the host of Adorama Rewind, professional photographer from New York City, and many, many other things. Seth, welcome back. I just you just reminded me of that old salsa commercial with like New York City. That was the idea. Oh man, get a rope. Oh yeah. How's it going, man? I'm sorry it's been a minute. I can't believe how fast time flew between the last time we did this. No, I mean, you've been around the country and back again and then left and came back again. <laughs> Actually, that's true. I think we were like, oh, cool. You went to CES. We'll talk about CES when you get back. Cool. I'm already in Nashville again. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, come on, dude. Yeah, uh, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of you have to roll with this industry while you can, you know, with the momentum and everything. Oh, definitely. Definitely. How was CES? Just give me the give me the elevator pitch version of CES. Was it fun? Was it stupid? Uh, it was ridiculous. Uh, the size of it, the sheer size of it uh, to a point where I was just stuck in. A, I thought I was stuck in China at one point. It just was like a bunch of knockoffs for as, as far as the eye could see. It was just crazy how many earbuds there were. But uh, I think the craziest part was vendors bought out entire hotel suite floors because they didn't want to buy a booth at ces so you had to make appointments with them on a floor of a hotel that's annoying yeah it was kind of crazy buy the damn booth guys well some of them just don't have they want they don't want to pay for signage they don't want to pay for booth talent they don't want to deal with uh dealing with unions to plug in a, a lamp or whatever you know it's like all sorts oh, of stuff yeah. yeah but and i get that but man it was just too much i couldn't believe how many people there were and it was technically no civilians it's all like media people Technically. Technically. There was a guy scalping passes outside. I'm not even joking. Oh, do they still do CES with like the AVN stuff at the same time? No, it, actually, that's funny you say that because AVN just finished in Vegas, I think, last week. So it, it just, just missed itself. But what's weird is that while there's a Photo Plus convention here in New York, there is an Exotica porn convention in jersey so it's like i guess the creepy guys or cameras have to make a choice right there like sophie's choice <laughs> <laughs> you know that's funny yeah the last time i went to ces I, I technically went for the avn awards but a buddy loaned me his pass for the day so i got to walk the floor but this was like 15 years ago yeah now they're on uh dvds yeah <laughs> Actually, not even on DVDs anymore, actually, right? Nobody's on DVDs. Yeah. Everybody's been pirated, uh, and it's up on YouPorn. Come well, on. Well, it's funny you should talk about pirating, because Lady Gaga just got in some weird heat in our industry. 
she's upset that her new song got leaked on the internet and it's been uh, circling around her fan base, which if they really are fans, they wouldn't be pirating. But let's not get into that. Uh, she takes an image off of Shutterstock, which is a stock photo agency, pretty much, where you can upload images of a professional photographer after they vet you, and people can buy your images based on resolution. So, like, top end would be 50 bucks for full resolution, and it gets cheaper after that, depending on what you need it for, like a web uh, image or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. she found an image of a young girl wearing a ski mask, listening to music with headphones on and saying, shh, with her hands, and she wrote, can you all stop on Twitter, and across this photo... It says Shutterstock's watermark, which means watermark. she didn't buy it. She oh, didn't buy classic. It. So Shutterstock went, hey, we hear you, Lady Gaga. We like our artists to get paid for things, too, or, or something to that regard. Yeah. And <laughs> all of her fans backlashed saying, oh, whatever. Your site was irrelevant till Lady Gaga uh, tweeted this and everyone has seen your watermark. What they're failing to realize is two things. One. Uh, it is a $2 billion company, Shutterstock. It's not some uh, yeah. small, irrelevant company. They're and not irrelevant at all. Half the things even. you see on websites are from Shutterstock. I'm, Absolutely. Hell, some of my stuff's up on Shutterstock. At uh, least yeah. it used to be. A billion years ago, I was on one of those iStock or yeah. Shutterstock. But the other thing is the photographer never got paid for it. Even if it's like $2 in royalties or whatever when they get their cut of the sale. Are you kidding me to think that it's Shutterstock that was supposed to be benefiting from this. They they were going to make a fifty dollars sale on the top end. She's using it for Twitter. They would have made two dollars off of this. Yeah. The whole point is that she's going against the exact principle of what she's making fun of. Exactly, exactly. So she gets what she deserves on this one. This is this is internet karma coming back to bite her in the ass. Well, hopefully Shutterstock got some play out of this. But in the end, the photographer took the photo. No play. <laughs> you know. Uh -huh. Yeah. So there's that. But I heard a, a rumor that he uploaded the image somewhere without the watermark on it and just said, here, enjoy it with a wink. Uh, okay. Well, at least he's got a sense of humor about it. I would have called my lawyer. <laughs> Over what? The few bucks? It's just like, even if it's a few dollars, it's whatever, but... It's a principle. So yeah, to make a point of people pirating your music and you're upset about it with a pirated photo, like what, one art form's worth more than another? I don't understand this. Yeah. No, I had a photo stolen that was used on a CD cover, and I sued the guy who did it, who was one of my heroes. It killed me to do it, but you have to do it. He's like, but I'm in the photo, so I own it. I'm like, guess again, buddy. Guess again. And unfortunately, uh, what his signature on the deal when we finally closed the deal to get me paid off... He died like two days later, so I have oh. one of his final signatures. I feel kind of, I feel like shit for doing it, but you know what? He kind of deserved it. You shouldn't do that shit. Oh, that's crazy, man. Mm -hmm. uh, in some other news, uh, do you know about PDN Photo District News, the magazine? I've seen the site, yeah. Yeah, uh, the actual magazine, it's closing its doors after 40 years. <laughs> I'm surprised that they lasted this long. Yeah, well, PDN was one of these magazines you saw at Every studio, every uh, student dark room, every college. It was it was an industry newsletter, and it, it was kind of like, um, I guess you know, you kind of got to a professional level when you were featured in there a little bit. And now, as far as uh, a magazine goes, it's being shut down. Uh, they have other things like Rangefinder, which I was just featured in last year with a two page spread, and that is changing as well. They're, it's kind of crazy. So, Rangefinder will shift to an all digital content hub, is what they're calling it. Uh, mm. This is also the company that, <laughs> aka puts, a website. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's but what I, we call a website, dude. <laughs> well, I think what they're going to do is actually create a level of content. So it's not just going to be Rangefinder with articles. It's more like, hey, here's our videos under the Rangefinder name. 
So mm. they're actually kind of assimilating a little bit there, which I think is smart. But this is all under the umbrella of the same company that puts together Photo Plus and WPPI, which is what I'll be teaching at this month anyway. Uh, it just shows you how much things are changing, how many old guard have to start rolling with the punches even faster than ever before. So, um, yeah, take it for what you will. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised these, these guys haven't consolidated and done this kind of stuff, but by now, I mean, geez, anybody that's coming out on paper is like, why, why are you doing that? Yeah. I mean, granted it's great for the crapper, but you know, <laughs> well, I think it's something to be said for print, right? I mean, it, it's something that exists in real space. You can't just delete it. it. It It's there. You can hand it to someone. You can actually have it in your in your hands to look at it, touch it, feel it, smell those pages. And that's romanticizing the hell out of it. I get it. Yeah, but seriously. It's kind of like, I don't know. Every time you go to Barnes & Noble, there's one less magazine rack there. You know, you're just kind of like, oh, what's happening? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I when we grew up, you know, when we were kids, I, I lived on Transworld Skateboarding and Thrasher. I had yeah. stacks of them, like six feet tall all because i'd get every every issue now i have one copy i've got one copy of trans world which was when i took my first photograph when well, my first roll of film on my pentax k1000 grant britain it posted it or i not posted it printed it in trans world so it was my <laughs> first byline and i kept that and uh like all the other print stuff that i've ever had all the magazines or newspapers i've been in that stuff just long gone i don't even care anymore yeah i think magazines themselves will turn into these pieces that only exist quarterly like you don't need a magazine every month because if you look at the articles they're all just recycling old ideas and just took, putting like a new um like model of camera in the position of where it was last year or whatever so i think what we'll see is like these quarterly um i don't know how you put it like chronicles or or um anthologies almost. yeah something like that because like the high-end magazines have like 15 dollars a magazine only come out four times a year and they're gorgeous and they have amazing images and pieces and i think that's really what's going to come down to is it'll uh it'll it'll be something you collect yeah see that's the thing if it's an art piece and it's really well done on really nice paper that's something you want to have and keep and keep on the bookshelf or keep in your waiting room and things like that but most of the magazines i get now because i get this mags for miles thing that i get i don't know mm -hmm. if you get these nah. i got i got like two thousand united points Right, that I've haven't ever used, and I get these mags for miles emails that say, "Hey, or pick out you got two thousand points. Grab, grab some magazines." And I get, I just pick out random crap, food magazines, travel <laughs> magazines. They come to the house, and they're like, they're like on tissue paper, mm. and they're just like, okay, well, that's straight to the recycle bin. But the funny part is, they've never actually once deducted any of the miles. So I've been getting free magazines for like seven or eight years. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Every every three weeks or four weeks, they send me a new thing. Would you like some more magazines? I'm like, well, yes, I would. Thank you. Well, it's also a number of jobs, right? Like the printing industry, the people that make these magazines, the guy who drives the truck to get it to you. All these things are going to start changing faster than ever before. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. I mean, I worked on a photo magazine for a while, JPEG magazine. I was well, on the C-suite for that, that particular magazine, and it was crowdsourced photography. And it was beautiful. We spent a lot of time making that a beautiful magazine and yeah we had distribution in airports and things like that and somebody has to deliver that stuff so what happens when all the magazines go away yeah well what happens when the machines take over <laughs> everybody drives for uber Woo! oh my god well, so i got a little follow-up on those uh lumix g7s i bought the last time we had you on the show yes fantastic little cameras uh, turns yep. out they are people really love that line as far as video guys go 
Yeah, and I mean, I said that they felt plasticky and cheap, but actually, it turns out that that's an upside when you got to schlep them around. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I've got I've got a Nikon F3 and an F4 here with motor drives. They those two cameras combined actually weigh more than like my entire remote gig or gear bag now that I have to take with me. I would hope so. I hope we assimilated or, or you know uh, progressed to a lighter kit and, and also the grip too, right? You don't need crazier tripods. You could use Gorilla Pods. Yeah, I got these cheapish aluminum travel pods. <laughs> okay. They're they're like blue anodized aluminum, so like people know they're mine. I wanted to have a little little style with them. Okay. And like between all three of them, they weigh almost nothing. Yeah. So and but they it's nice because they do have little hooks on it. So I got little baggies, and you can just put a can of coke in there if you want, or a water bottle to stabilize it. And yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. There's um actually Flashpoint makes this thing that's uh, just a a canvas satchel kind of thing. Um. It, it's it has four little pockets and you just put water bottles in there and you can use those uh, anywhere on location. You just roll it up, put it in your bag, forget about it. And what I use it for is uh, putting it on light stands. I throw tools in all the pockets. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a really good idea. It's nice. cheap. I think they were like eight bucks. It's crazy. I've, uh, yeah. I've actually had to buy new weights to go on the end of my uh, microphone booms in the office here. Oh, really? Because I've got I've got these, uh, I can't remember, like Samson mic stands. You know, mm. just the ones that fold up really, really small. But when you actually have to put like a uh, Shure SM7B and extend it all the way, they just fall over. <laughs> they just yeah. fall over. Yeah. So I found the I found these weights that go on like uh, arms of C stands. So right. I just got got two three pound weights. And I'm like three pounds is that really going to be enough? Turns out it's a lot, especially yeah. when you got to carry them around. But it, that really did the trick. But they're lead. They're yeah. like painted lead. Yeah, we usually we used to call uh, I don't know if they still call them that, but we call them pumpkins. They're these like metal like rectangle squares with like a, a cut through the middle of them. And then it has a clamp on one side into that cut. So you can put that's them on exactly anything. exactly it. Yep. That's yeah. exactly what I got. I and they orange. Knew, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never knew the actual industry term for them because their slang term is pumpkin. And anywhere I go, I say that. And then someone goes, Hey, what's that thing you're using? Oh, it's a pumpkin. They can't ever find it on a search engine. And I get like a million <laughs> yeah. DMS complaining about it. I'm like, I don't know, bro. It's what it's called. <laughs> I mean, that's funny. Uh, I think there, uh, I can't remember how far back we did the last episode, but I thought this was a super important, um, issue to bring up. If you're a Canon shooter, mm -hmm. they are, uh, they announced that they are done developing EF mount lenses. That means any DSLR lens, they are done with that mount developing new ones, not, not producing, but developing any new, uh, lens at all. So they're focusing everything on the RF full frame mirrorless mount going forward. Interesting. That's a big statement, especially yeah. when they just released a $6,500 camera body for the EF mount, <laughs> <laughs> the 1DX Mark III, their new flagship camera, which they got out just in time for the Olympics and the Super Bowl. Wow. I, that's interesting timing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, and a lot of people are going like, wait a second, why are their flagship cameras still mirrored? It's like, you have to realize there is no such thing as mirrorless versus DSLR. It's whatever tool you want to use and for whatever reason you want to use it. And I think the full frame, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. The full frame mirrorless versus DSLR debate is exactly what marketing wanted you to have. It's, it's this hype. It's this idea that there's a new thing that you should all switch over to, uh, trying to rejuvenate lines. I, it, people just don't understand that. And uh, Canon saying they're not making any more lenses for the EF mount kind of makes people even more hype thinking that this is becoming the end of DSLRs. 
I don't see that anytime soon. Yeah, me neither, especially since we've just seen releases that show a hybrid style. So Nikon put out a D780, which is a DSLR, but once the mirror flips up, it's a Nikon Z6. Really? That's kind of cool. It has all the video, all the autofocus points, all the tracking. Years ago, when you had a DSLR and you put it into live view where the mirror would flip up and you'd look through the LCD screen, not the EV, uh, the optical viewfinder, Yeah, uh, it was actually less autofocus, less capabilities. It was like an afterthought. Now, it looks like they're getting better when you flip the mirror up because they're basically a mirrorless camera at that point. It is the Z6 sensor and engine inside this camera, but it's a DSLR with their um, F-mount. So it's kind oh, of that crazy. Sounds, that sounds great. Do you know what the uh, those bodies kind of go for? Yeah, they're looking at about $2,300. Oh, yeah. damn. Yeah. It was at oh. CES. I picked it up and I looked at it. I'm like, all right, what exactly is this? And they said exactly that. But the other thing that it has that the Z6 doesn't is as hybrid log for video, which video guys love. What's that mean? I don't even know what that means is actually better for broadcasting. It gives you all the dynamic range out of that file, just like it was like a raw, but it's not raw, and it's still log uh, profile. So this week, I actually got to hold in my hands a very special Leica, and it was the new monochrome M10. It is so sleek. All It's a monochrome because it only shoots black and white photos. Yeah. And it still costs $9,000. I'm like, for nine grand, I want fucking color. Come on. At least Uh, give me the option. There's a reason, though. (laughs) There's reasons why it is what it is. And they gave us a lens. Like, you might want to try with this lens. It was a 90 millimeter, I think, uh, 1.5 or something like that. It is a $12,000 to $15,000 lens. I was walking around New York with 25 grand just sitting in my hand. I'm like... Oh man, <laughs> you need yeah. You seriously need like backup when you go out shooting with that thing. Oh man, we had a few guys with us. Uh, the video just released on Adorama TV. We gave it to a, an influencer guy who's familiar with Leica, and he was floored by it. But what I think people don't realize about the monochrome that's special is one, it is geared to get all the tones it possibly can for grayscale. And mm-hmm. two, when you have a color sensor, it's actually inhibiting light because it has to go through so many filters to right. capture color correctly. So technically, a black and white uh, sensor should be better in lower light. Like you shouldn't need to boost your ISO so much. Yeah, I think friend of the show, Sean Bonner, uses uh, one of those. Not not the new, new one, but he's got one of them because yeah. all he shoots is black and white. And uh, I know he's a Leica guy. It's amazing. I mean, the the my retirement camera is a Leica monochrome. I'll, I'll self the rest of my gear, throw my phone away, and just walk the earth. It is, <laughs> it is like I am chilling, man. That would be fantastic. I miss black and white so much. Even you know, even going back in the dark room would be fun. I just I love black and white. It's, it's it has a special place in my heart. And black and white dark room is super easy to come by. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it's like nothing. It's like three chemicals. You could do it with your bathtub. You can get in a larger, fairly cheap these days. And film is becoming a reasurging thing right now. They're seeing growth like every year now in, in film production. Huh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was coming back because I, I still have a Gray Lab darkroom timer sitting here on my uh, my bookshelf right next to my my microphone. Yeah, I, I think everybody has one of those timers somewhere. Like we're just like, I, yeah. I went and bought one on eBay because I just wanted it for the house. Like it's, it's the same thing with the the F three and the F four. It's like I just want them for nostalgia. I'm not gonna. Although the F three and the F four both do have film in it, and I have been shooting with it, but I just don't have any place to go process oh, it. Oh jeez. So. Well, there's plenty of places. I mean, there's these independent labs that are popping up. You can mail your film in or black and white is super easy. A developing tank for like 25 bucks and just like 15 minutes of your time will get you a black and white uh, development. 
the problem is then you got to scan it and that just takes forever i mean i've got a super cool scan i think four thousand or six thousand wow that's old it, it works works man the thing works how do you have the ports that support that thing i don't think it's I, usb2 what is, it is it? usb2 oh, yeah jeez yep my my old super school super cool <laughs> super school scan super cool <laughs> scan uh ed 4000 i think that's it sitting here sitting here on the floor before i left chicago i put a couple hundred rolls through that thing so just to get them done you don't have to scan your film you ready for this okay nikon sells an attachment now that you can run your film through with a 60 millimeter macro lens and shoot it onto your sensor. Wow. So there's <laughs> that. Uh, and it's pretty fast because you don't cut the film. So you just run it through frame, 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 36 times you're done. Wow. How much does that run? I think thousands. It's one, uh, no, I think it's like 140 bucks. But then you still got to buy the 60 millimeter lens. Uh, if you have a macro, I think it should work regardless. I think they just recommend the, um, I think they just recommend the 60 millimeter. I'm not sure. Oh, there it is. Nikon ES-2 film digital ab adapter, $140. Oh, yeah. man. I think because uh, I can run that through my D810. Holds 35 millimeter film strips and slides. Ideal for the D850 because of the resolution, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. And D810 also, is no slouch when it comes to resolution. No, it's not. But the D850 has focus stacking. So I think they recommend you doing that just in case you don't have it lay flat. Mm. Which here's, is here's what I'll do. I'll just send you my film and I'll send yeah. you the attachment. <laughs> okay. No, you can do it since you got a D850. <laughs> it says designed to be paired with the Nikon micro lenses, AFS micro Nikkor 60 millimeter F 2.8. But I, I, I'm sure that might just be like a sizing thing, like where it screws onto the front of the lens, maybe. Yeah. But it's totally uh, doable. And, and a lot of other companies make things like this too. There's these independent companies. I don't know how else to put it, but they're like Kickstarter guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they just have the same idea. You you mount the camera to one end of this thing. It has a way to illuminate through the film and you just run it through and take pictures and it goes, that's a film scanner. So instead huh. of you worrying about the, if it doesn't need to go to a publication or whatever, and you don't need like a dead on scan with a glassless uh, scanner, which is, by the way, has got to be like 10, 15 year old technology by now. Yeah. Uh, you can just do it this way. Well, you know what I can do? I can always sell my super cool scan uh on ebay because they're going for over a grand yeah they are yeah that and the minolta one that the minolta damage i just sold mine actually anyway man thanks for dropping by yeah. and uh hopefully we'll uh we'll, we'll talk to you sooner than later this time are you off again to tour the world what's your what's your newest classes coming up that you've got that people can go attend well my next one is going to be wppi in las vegas i think i'm there february i think 23rd to the 27th or maybe less time than that but uh, they can go to WPPI and sign up for my classes there if they're going to be at the conference. But my big thing right now is I'm really pushing my own Twitch channel. Okay. So I'm trying to make a positive community out there because YouTube turned into a bunch of elitist assholes that can't let anybody just have a video and a conversation on there that to attack each other. You know you can't have a conversation on YouTube. That's yeah. nothing new. <laughs> I know. Well, that's why I started Twitch, and it's been great. We do image critiques. We have a Discord channel that people can talk 24-7 to each other, ask questions, whatever they want to know. Uh, it's going pretty great. You can join me there at twitch.tv slash lastxwitness, and you can find me on any social media, lastxwitness. Uh, hit me up on Instagram. That's probably my biggest one. All right, man. Well, fantastic talking to you. And uh, until next time. Thanks so much, Jay. Closing shout out. 
Closing shout out to Seth Miranda for joining us again to talk cameras and goodies and stuff of that ilk. And uh, yeah, it was nice having him back. Hopefully he'll be back sooner than later. Excellent. And rest in peace, uh, Kirk Douglas, icon of Hollywood's golden age, died at 103. Much too soon. Much too soon. <laughs> uh, he had a good run. He had a damn yes, good run. What a good life. Yep. Until next time, I'm Brian Schulmeister. And I'm Jason DeFilippo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. To support the show and keep us on the air, go to GOG.show slash donate. Toss us a few bucks and we'll love you forever. Your support keeps us going and we really, really appreciate it. And show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash 413. From there, you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, donate to the show, and get links to stuff we like. Stay grumpy. All men lose when they die. All men die but a slave and a free man lose different things. They both lose life. Free man dies, he loses the pleasure of life. Slave loses its pain. Death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he's not afraid of it. That's why we'll win. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.